Your goal is to make someone want to do it. You want to drive the passion. If they get the head stuff, that's cool. If they get the heart stuff, that's it right there, right? You want to inspire these students to go and do something else because it's just a class. Welcome to Learning Unboxed, a conversation about teaching, learning, and the future of work. This is Annalise Corbin, Chief Goddess of the Past Foundation and your host. We hear frequently that the global education system is broken. In fact, we spend billions of dollars trying to fix something that's actually not broken at all, but rather irrelevant. It's obsolete. A hundred years ago, it functioned fine. So let's talk about how we reimagine, rethink, and redesign our educational system. So welcome to today's episode of Learning Unboxed. I am very excited about um, our guest today, um, who is Kevin Gadd, um, and I would define him as a bit of a serial entrepreneur um, and a very much go-and-learn kind of guy. And so <laughs> we're really excited to, to have you, uh, so thank you for joining us today. Great. Thank you for having me. So a little bit um, for our listeners, um, Kevin, about um, your background and the reason that I sort of label you a bit of a serial entrepreneur um, is that, um, you know, for two decades or more at this point, um, have been involved in thinking about entrepreneurship and entrepreneurship in education, whether it be high school, post-secondary, and that intersection between teaching, learning, and work. So um, we're really excited about um, you being here to sort of have some of that conversation. So, um, and, you know, as an additional background, Kevin um, was commercialization director of Tech Columbus, which is now um, Rev1, in 2007-2010, where he actually um, had worked with technology entrepreneurs. He had this background in understanding this space of startup. And there's so much conversation um, globally about entrepreneurship education, especially in the last decade. Um, and so I want to talk a little bit about your journey, because not only did you spend time helping others be um, entrepreneurs in that sort of startup space, but then also then um, ultimately launching your own program to teach entrepreneurship, um, both here and abroad. And I had the privilege of getting to meet Kevin at that sort of space, really, um, where he was taking all of that knowledge and applying it into other settings, other cultures, um, in a really, really um, set of dynamic ways that we want to talk about um, as we move forward. Um, you know, part of Kevin's journey um, then led him from that to um, actually uh, working with Apprente out of um, Seattle. Uh, we'll talk about that in a bit because that's where he takes all of those skills and translates them into helping others find their next piece of their journey. So it's very exciting. Mm -hmm. So welcome. Thank you. Thank very you very much. So let's start with what's the big deal about entrepreneurship and its role in education? Um, it's, it's a big, giant buzz. Everybody's creating these pathways around it. So the real question is, should folks be doing this? And if so, are we even remotely close to getting it right? Well, again, thanks for having me. Um, I would say, I would also say I would call myself a serial learner. Yeah. It just so happens that a number of those learning opportunities have come around a new business or helping other people with businesses. But I'm fascinated with learning new things. I, I get bored very quickly. You know, I had done a number of technology-based startups here in Columbus starting around 95. And um, so I had that experience and some connections. 
that did eventually lead me to to Tech Columbus or Rev One. And at that time, the national conversation with entrepreneurship was really starting to explode. Mm-hmm. Um, the state had funded uh, a number of entities across the state with the Third Frontier Program. Tech Columbus was one of those. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people began to think about starting a business. And while that's super great, like anything else, if you just go at anything half-cocked without any education, without any kind of assistance, without any mentorship, you're bound to make mistakes. Mm -hmm. That's just a fact. Even smart people like me make mistakes, I think, (laughs) Uh, or so I've been told. And what we tried to do at Tech Columbus was provide more of that education to help people understand the process of starting a business and growing the business. And at the same time, the Kauffman Foundation out of Kansas City was doing a lot more research into the growth of entrepreneurship education in colleges and mm-hmm. universities, specifically a little bit in the high school, but mostly colleges and universities. And so they they produced some really interesting information about the dramatic growth in colleges and universities, right? Colleges and universities need to make money. They need to see what's going on in society. And if more people want entrepreneurship education, they're going to supply it, right? Right. The challenge at that time, and I think it's, I think it's better now, and we'll talk about mm-hmm, that, uh, but, the, but the big challenge and the problem I saw at that point was we were trying to teach entrepreneurship like we would teach math or history. Right, right. We would get an outdated book, and we would get students in a class, and we might be really forward-thinking and have some things online for them or have them do a business plan with a CD-ROM application. And it was very... <laughs> It was very outdated, mm-hmm. and it was very just non-functional, in my opinion, and it didn't match what really happened in the real world. And after working with, you know, being an entrepreneur and having a couple technology businesses and, and then working with hundreds and mm-hmm. hundreds of Tech Columbus, I, I just glaringly saw the difference. Right. <laughs> this, the, the way education was, was teaching entrepreneurship was nowhere near remotely the same as people were actually doing it. You think part of that was because of the the misunderstanding of where entrepreneurship fits in the world. So, for example, in K-12 and even in post-secondary, often if you find an entrepreneurship course prior to some of the, the this work that's gone on, um, you were going to find it in, in business school only. You wouldn't you wouldn't see pieces of it, you know, other places, right? I think that's a fair statement. I think the other challenge in having – you know, I've been involved in all the entrepreneurship education and curriculum groups mm-hmm. in the United States, and it's certainly got much better. But back then and through this time, the people teaching it weren't entrepreneurs. Exactly. They're, they're business school people. Business strategy, yeah, yeah. Uh, management, and they wanted to apply big company mm-hmm. type processes to startups. They're not re- even remotely, remotely the, the same. same right? And <laughs> You know, some schools started moving in the direction of allowing people like me to be adjuncts and mm-hmm. to teach those courses. And that's kind of how I how I got in. Um, we I started working with Fisher College of Business mm-hmm. and their entrepreneurship program and a couple of the professors at, at, uh, at Ohio State. And we built out curriculum that we thought was much more relevant. The idea should be that you almost should be able to take one or two of these classes mm-hmm. and be able to just go and do it. Right. As opposed to needing a four-year degree in entrepreneurship seems silly to me. And that's what we tried to do. And so we built out those courses at Ohio State 
uh, for a couple of years and then started taking them nationally um, to other colleges and universities and, you know, tried to poke the people that were, you know, that were having trouble moving in the right direction. You know, the, the people with entrepreneurship PhDs that, that didn't have the experience, mm-hmm. but were very, very great researchers, very great thinkers mm-hmm. on the on the subject of entrepreneurship, but just not doers. There has to be an intersection of those two, right? right? You can't have it all one way or the other. Right. And I think that's what we, I think we did a good job of that, trying to, trying to ride in that middle so that mm-hmm. there were some thoughtful pieces to it, some strategically placed uh, research-based things in the courses, but more get it done, mm-hmm. work through it, grit, um, get things started, you know, minimally viable products, things like that. So that was a big change. Mm-hmm. Um, since then, it's exploded. A lot of changes. You know, there's there's been a number of other really smart people, really smart entrepreneurs like Steve Blank that have created some better national conversation right, about how right, to do it. Right. And and also where to apply it and why and when and um, those different pieces. So how did that experience at the collegiate level trying to influence existing programs then for you translate into, hey, maybe I want to step back and do something a little more deliberate with this. So let's talk about how you sort of made that transition and, and launched to getting towards Venture Highway. And let's talk about that a little bit. We had some we had some success at Ohio State with these courses, working with Dr. Michael Camp, mm-hmm. and um, we just felt like there were a, you know again Kaufman Foundation proved out um, that the the growth rate of entrepreneurship programs in colleges and universities was very high. <laughs> a lot of new programs coming online mm-hmm. uh, again and driven by things like Shark Tank. Right, exactly. Right, yeah. when things like Shark mm-hmm. Tank show up on TV, it makes it very um, sexy to be an entrepreneur and everybody wants that. Right. So there was a lot of growth driven from just things like that. Mm -hmm. And, and obviously some of the big name companies that are out there, you know, you you read about Zuckerberg and Facebook all the time, right? right? People want to, they want to emulate that. I want to do that. But again, we, we decided that we had to take it on a wider, wider uh, course because we can help more people. Right. I mean, at the end of the day, the goal is, to help more people. I'm a servant leader, I believe, and the things I do try to help other people. And mm-hmm. I thought we had we'd found something pretty cool. It's very difficult to grow and sell into um, the national higher education mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, institutions. It's just very difficult. You're competing with a lot of big name companies who would really like you to keep buying that textbook right. as opposed to moving everything online for a cheaper price and putting everything centralized like we did. So that was very, very difficult, but it was very fulfilling. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, as you said, we ended up uh, taking it overseas and, you know, probably the culmination of that before we before we uh, closed it and moved on to something else was teaching women entrepreneurs at uh, Dar al Hekma University mm-hmm. in Saudi Arabia, mm-hmm. something that you just never would have thought would have been part of the path, but wow, what a part of the path. <laughs> yeah, and, and for our listeners, that's that's really sort of the space, the time and space where, um, you know, I had the greatest opportunity to sort of observe the work that Kevin was was doing, um, the work um, with women in entrepreneurship in the Middle East. And so, like you said, wow. And, and I think that from from standing back and watching some of those pieces, what what do you feel like, um, you know, as you really sort of take the entrepreneurship program and you put it into a completely different environment? And that that's a real, 
key in the transitions with teaching and learning, um, no matter what topic we're talking about. And it's something that, um, you know, um, schools and communities, um, post-secondaries, um, business and entities, they all struggle with. How do I take what I've created, what I know works and what is spectacular, and apply it into a different environment? And you couldn't have chosen a more different environment, right? right? So uh, to go from mainstream U.S. into um, uh, JEDA. So tell us about that a little bit. Well, I mean, looking back, obviously, it makes perfect sense. Certainly one of the places that the trajectory could have taken us. And in my opinion, maybe the best place it could have taken us. To do that, we we had to take everything that we had learned, written, done in class for the for the previous five, six years, and we had to we had to boil it down to ten straight days. So we took a fifteen week course mm-hmm. that was fairly experiential, um, but it's spaced out over fifteen weeks, right, right? Right. And we boiled it into ten days all day, every day, with these women uh, students in at uh, Darl Hekma. You know, English as a second language. Mm-hmm. It had to be one, almost one hundred percent experiential. We provided the content that we had written over the years. We provided the platform so they had the tools and could use for business, an online business plan builder. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, any of these courses and what you do too, mm-hmm. right? At the end of the day, your goal is to make someone want to do it. You want to drive the passion. If they get the head stuff, that's cool. Right. If they get the heart stuff. That's it right there, right? You want to inspire these students to go and do something else because it's just a class, right? Right. What you're doing too, right? Exactly, yeah. They're only going to remember so much of the book or the talk or the whatever, but if you can hit them right here in the heart and get them to want to actually go out and do it, and that's what we did. Mm -hmm. You know, we we could really feel it at the end of these courses. And so every single day from bright and early to late – we were working with these students hands-on, putting them in situations that an entrepreneur would 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 uh, have to deal with and seeing how they react and helping them react better and giving them those, you know, giving them those experiences that later when they started their coffee shop or their right. or their bakery or or their, you know, nail business, whatever they, they could fall back on that experience and uh, you know, have some relative education that they could work from right and we made it fun we made it fun 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 and at the end of the day we had the we taught that class five times i think Mm -hmm. uh, over the past two years and it was the highest rated course in the history of the college and (laughs) consistently remains that um and we consistently hear from our students and they tell us the things that they're doing and the again you know we we may talk about this too but Mm -hmm. When you're in this environment, and I'm sure you hear this too, people ask you what the what what kind of success rate do you have? Oh yeah, how, how do many, you measure it? Right? How many students did you have that started businesses? Right. And you know, I've I've written on this and spoken on this over the years that that's the wrong wrong KPI. Right. Right. How many students were inspired? How many students ten years down the road work on, on, and start their own thing? Or how many? go to work in a small business and they're just better for it because now they understand how the full business works. Those are valid KPIs. They're harder to get, right? right. Yeah. You can't just get those numbers, but those are much more valid than how many, because even in the, even in whatever, even in the best colleges, even in the absolute best entrepreneurship colleges like Babson, 
a, a low number of students actually just finish the course and go start a business. Right. It's just not feasible. Right. It's just, you've got to, you need people, you need ideas, you need money, you need time. And so, uh, you know, I felt like in that environment, it just all culminated in that, in those classes where all the things that we'd learned and the mistakes we'd made, mm-hmm. there was no room for error uh, over there. Right. No room for error. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, it worked out really, really well, and we changed a lot of people's lives. And again, at the end of the day, that's what it's all about, right? Mm-hmm. Well, and just um, some for some context for our listeners, so um, it's somewhat difficult to sort of um, get a full version of the story while it's happening live um, as Kevin and his team um, were working. But we get the sort of after-component um, photos that, that were allowed to be posted and stuff, so mm-hmm. you, you sort of get to watch it. Um, and as you could sort of watch the photos sort of filter through um, over the course of the 10 days, um, you know, the faces of the participants, so you could really definitely tell it was having an impact. It went from, I have no idea what I'm doing or why I'm really here. <laughs> Who are these Americans yeah. and why are they in my classroom? <laughs> these American men, right? Uh, right? Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. That's the other piece we're not even going to touch on, really. Um, but by the time you get to the end, you could see the rapture and joy oh, abs- um, as absolutely. these women are presenting, um, you know, so the output their ideas and so those those were really wonderful and then we also were fortunate enough that um, folks involved with the program um, from Darhatma University um, came to the Past Innovation Lab uh, and so I've had the opportunity to talk to them um, really um, one-on-one and in person about the impact of the the program and the potential of programs like this and that's where I want to go next with this because Programs, whether they be entrepreneurship or astrophysics or NASCAR driving, makes no difference, right? When they are very, very well done and executed and they are culturally relevant to the participants. And 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 take that um, as you will. What I mean by that um, um, for our purposes is that the context in which you're delivering the program has been um, very well understood um, and valued. Um, and modifications made. You had mm-hmm. to modify that program more than just from 15 weeks to 10 days. Otherwise, it was never going to resonate, day. right, with those participants. Every day we readjusted Absolutely. a little you, bit. You have to, right, um, for the success of great programs. So when you translate those those efforts and those successes back into um, how you you sort of move the consciousness, I guess, if you will, of an industry. So as you think about that work and the growing push in entrepreneurship, it has to not just be at colleges and universities or in startup environments. It, it, we have to move that type of very applied comprehensive teaching and learning into um, our primary education pathways. So in the U.S., that's K-12. Um, Europe, the structure is a little different, so on and so forth. But we have to make that mainstream. We have to make innovative programs mm-hmm. mainstream. And that's that's what I love about past foundation, right? Well, because you. if you think about it, it because it, uh, I, you know, we built out some courses and we had our course taught mm-hmm. at Metro High School for mm-hmm. a while, and again, students in that in that K twelve zone, you have to focus on different outcomes. You want them to think innovatively. You want them to to think outside the box. You want them to come up with solutions. You want them to come up with multiple solutions. You want them to come up with multiple problems so that they can then look for solutions. That's the genesis of any business, right? Right. And if, and, and what you do, what your students do that I see whenever time I'm over at past 
is they're inquisitive, they're curious, they're they're trying things, they're not afraid to fail. Not afraid to fail. And, it should be a mantra. Exactly. And um and interestingly, that's probably the hardest thing to get over in Saudi, in Saudi Arabia. That was our hardest thing to get over is that there's a culture of fear of failure. If you fail, you're basically done. Mm-hmm. You don't get to, you know, often you don't get to redo. And we're not that bad here in the United States with that, but mm-hmm. but there is certainly this culture of of not wanting to fail. Sure, sure. And I think that uh, I think you and your team do a great job saying it's okay. Like you've got to do things, you've got to learn. the The outcome is learning. Right. The outcome isn't always success. If learning is is part of a, a very valid outcome. So that's the thing that I think has to happen, has to continue to happen in K twelve. Again. Don't look for KPIs of how many high school students started a business. That's right. not that's not the thing. But how many uh, how many have changed their perception of entrepreneurship? How many have changed their perception of solving problems? Mm-hmm. We we always did an exercise for these students in Saudi and, and in many of my classes at Ohio State as well, where we would start and have them think of different ways to describe an entrepreneur. If you think about it, that word seems kind of stodgy and big and long and hard to spell <laughs> even for me right but if you break it down and you ask the students to think about that like what else what other words can come to mind again in this environment where we have an entrepreneur slash businessman in charge of the united states and people have strong feelings about that you, you necessarily don't want to associate that with being an entrepreneur and i think i have found in some cases that people do that if, but if mm-hmm. you if you Teach them early right. that you're a problem solver, mm-hmm. you're a solution provider, you're uh, a community organizer, you're a leader, you're uh, self-employed. You're mm-hmm. you know a number of ways to re-describe what an entrepreneur is. Their mind opens up and they see, oh, okay, I don't have to be like that guy. Mm-hmm. I don't have to be like you know the the typical older white guy. Um, which instantly is me, but, <laughs> but I, and I, under, but I understand that. Right? right. And you don't want people to think that that's all the only, that you have to be that to be successful. There are tons of them. Um, and that's what I like, you know, I'm, I've been strong into mentoring and, 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 uh, for many years. And, um, you know, I just think that there's, as we get more examples mm-hmm. and as our the, the K-12, the younger students see more and better examples of entrepreneurs that look like them, don't look like me, right. that's another way that, that, you know, that'll get a little more steam. It'll get more momentum and we'll, we'll, we'll have a better conversation about entrepreneurship, I think, at that level, at the, mm-hmm. at the K-12 level. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I actually think that, um, you know, we can't stress enough that the the importance of I can't be what I can't see, mm-hmm. right? So we, we have to get people into the pipeline that fit the diversity of the opportunity of potential participants. Mm-hmm. So we have to change that piece of the, the equation. But likewise, we also have to recognize that we can't do what I don't know. And so that gets us to that space where, you know, it's we have to provide that applied opportunity. You have to put the teaching and learning into context. Otherwise, it will never translate into meaningful work or careers because I will never be able to figure out how to get there. Mm -hmm. The pathway is not clear to me. 
You know, I appreciate your comments um, about PASS and the Innovation Lab. Um, one of the things that um, for me is a personal highlight, um, you know, if I'm having a, a, you know, a tough morning, I'll just wander out into the middle of the innovation space and just sit there um, and absorb. And, and to your point, um, I would put the kids who are running through that um you know, um, every day up against, you know, some of the best trained teams that are out there um, in thinking, um, largely because they're fearless. Mm-hmm. Um, it's an environment in which they've they've not only been allowed to fail repeatedly, um, but it's been cherished as an opportunity to learn. Back to your original statement that you're, you know, you're you're a learner. Um, failing with bumpers. Yeah, right? we call exactly. It like failing with bumpers, right? It's like when kids learn to bowl. Mm-hmm. It's the same concept I've always looked at, right? We're there. Those of us that are adults that have been through it, that have some form of privilege, whether it's whatever, we're there to provide those bumpers. Because if we don't, right. there's going to be way too many gutter balls. Right. And they don't get out of the gutter ball, right? So we're there. You're there to help them and go, it's okay. Yeah. It's okay to hit the bumper. You're going to bounce right back. Yeah. Just keep throwing the ball. Just keep trying. Keep learning. Keep trying to solve problems. Keep finding problems. Yeah. And, and amaze us along the way because that's the other piece of it, right? Um, you know, certainly for me, I'm I'm blown away on a regular basis. Like, holy moly, I never would have thought of that. <laughs> you know, and it's, it's it's coming out of these groups of kids. And and the other thing that I love about that type of environment and and the role that, um, whether you label it entrepreneurship or or anything else as it relates to helping these kids get that skill and that mindset, right, is that not only are they fearless, but they will regroup and recombine. You know, as an anthropologist, that's the other piece, <laughs> the other side of the hat that it passed, you know, not only are we we creating an environment so that we can do these types of things, we're creating that environment so we can do these types of things so we can study and watch these types mm-hmm. of things, you know. Um, you know, as an anthropologist and the sort of science of humanity sort of approach, um, we, we want to be able to watch and to see. And the, one of the things that we watch and we see a lot now is that natively these kids are regrouping depending on the problem that they're trying to solve. And so you can start to watch them over greater and greater exposure to these processes, recognize um, strengths and weaknesses in each other, and they reteam and recollaborate in ways that are completely native to them. And they have plenty of time. Yeah, they have plenty of time too, right? Right. Getting them at that, at that, um, you know, 10, 11, 12th grade kind of zone um, gives them plenty of time. Mm-hmm. They, have, they don't have to, they don't, you know, when you're 25 or 50, you have a lot less room for error. Right, right, right. Absolutely. You have more family requirements, you know, and we had this at Tech Columbus, right? We right, had a lot right. of people um, that were, you know, adults mm-hmm. and trying to start businesses. And, um, you know, we often had to have difficult conversations to say, you know, it's fine. You just, you're going to have to, you're going to have to be prepared. Your right. margin of error is a lot lower, right? Start the kids younger. Let them work through those laps around the track, right. as we say. Mm-hmm. And uh, hopefully, you're, you're, the goal is to, you know, one of the goals is to, is to raise the percentage chance of success. That's all you're trying to do right. in anything you teach, right? right? I'm trying to raise the percentage chance that you will be successful in whatever you want to do. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, I feel like we've really, you know, in uh, in entrepreneurship curriculum and education that I've done, I, I feel like that's been our number one focus. And I feel like we've done a great job of that. And I know past has done the same thing for a long time, almost 20 years. 
almost. Well, let's talk about that transition piece because that takes us to what you're working on now. Um, and so um, you are um, with a, an organization called um, Apprenti, um, which is the nation's first registered IT apprenticeship program. And you are the Ohio program manager, program manager um, as Apprenti is really working nationally on big kind of scale sort of pieces. Mm-hmm. And so in that space, you have the opportunity to take folks who have made it through the K-12 system who may have been in a variety of different post-secondary opportunities, military, not trade school, uh, new careers, and so on. So tell us a little bit about that next iteration, because the, the, the third piece, I guess, our leg on this stool, if you will, is that work piece. Ultimately, mm-hmm. at the end of the day, what we're all collectively working on is trying to get meaningfully folks into our community in great work and great thinkers and contributing to our society. So what does what does Apprente look like um, for you and how does it how does it naturally translate all of the work you've done before? Yeah, again, it's uh it was very um wonderful um opportunity that 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 presented itself to me um and I had to take it. So Apprenti uh, is a startup, so I love that, mm-hmm. um, headquartered out of Seattle. And the primary focus of Apprenti is to solve the problem that there's not enough IT, technology, software developer people in the United States. And also, there's not enough people of color, there's not enough women, and there's certainly not enough veterans right. in that group. Again, I get it. The predominance of people in the IT space look like me. I get that. We need to change that. Mm-hmm. Apprenti is, has, was um, funded by the Department of Labor and in Ohio also by the Ohio Department of Job and Family Services. And uh, we are a registered IT apprenticeship program. Uh, the Department of Labor took the basic tenets of skilled labor apprenticeship, of a, of a, of a training component and an on-the-job training component, and decided to apply that to the problem of not enough IT resources in the United States. Uh, part of our funding comes from H-1B visa money. So mm-hmm. uh, when companies bring in IT resources, they pay funding for that. This problem isn't new, right? right? I, right. I was involved in a very large startup around the year 2000 here in Columbus called Submit Order. We had a problem with IT resources. We didn't have enough of them at the time. The problem, though, at that point was really, really secluded to just IT companies. The problem now is that every company is an, is an IT, is an IT company yeah. or needs IT people. And it ties very good into the startup community is right. the way I feel, right? Because right. most, I mean, even non-IT startups have some form of technology and they need technologists and there's just not enough of them. And again, our focus is to bring people into that field that are not typically um, in that field, right? right. Five, less than 5%. African-Americans and less than 20% women in, in, uh, in technology. So we, uh, we work with companies to identify, uh, open positions that could be filled by new entrants into the pool, as opposed to, I always say that the companies are, they just steal resources back and forth. Right. Right. And, um, it's not making the pool any bigger. So we look for folks. We work with a lot of the nonprofits here Mm -hmm. in, uh, in the area. And we, uh, Try to find folks that want to get into IT that just haven't had a chance to. And then we pair them up with openings at companies such as Huntington and Chase for right now. And then um, we have funds to go get them trained. 
and we train them uh, at local technology training places like Tech Elevator, mm-hmm. and then um, put them into a one-year OJT process. So we're again, it's mentoring, it's holding their hands through the process, and then at the end, letting them go. And now they're in that pool, and they can move every couple of years if they mm-hmm. want. But to me, it's a very natural progression of what I've been doing. It's right. 100% service-oriented, right? I really enjoy helping these folks, finding folks that are underemployed, unemployed, um, wanting to move from IT as a hobby to IT as a career, right? and not just a job, a career, um, and helping them do that process and be successful. It's you know, wildly exciting. That's for sure. So, given the given the path that you have been on, and and being fully immersed in many different aspects of entrepreneurship, whether it be from the teaching and learning side, from the work side, from the direct participant side, as as communities are wrestling with a lot of these um, same sort of issues that your path has taken you through, um, what what's a giant um, takeaway or or uh, sort of best advice that you would give to someplace recognizing that we have an opportunity here with our workforce and our, our emerging workforce to be and the intersections in between? That's a great question. I think if I could solve that, I would, I would, uh, <laughs> I would write a book. Um, having been in this in Columbus for a long time, I can say that there are two things I think that have made Columbus really pop in a lot of the top 10 lists uh, mm-hmm. for things like this in the United States. One is massive ground level support, right? Um, there's a number of groups. I was involved in, the, in them in the mid to late nineties that have continued to grow and more have popped up. It's people helping people. Right. It's, it's groups talking, it's creating events, uh, you know, where, 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 where people can get together and they can talk to each other and talk about starting businesses and failures and such. Right. So that's one. So there's a lot of ground, ground level support and helping each other out. Two is, is money. When Tech Columbus was started and in that area of the third frontier, Ohio injected a lot of money into the, into the, into the continuum of entrepreneurship. Right. A lot of places think that they can inject a lot of money at just certain points, right. but you create a lot of these valleys of death where people can't get to the VCs. If you have right. a lot of VC money, but people can't get there, right. that's a challenge. So I think those two things, from my perspective, have been what has helped Columbus we, we, in Ohio. We've really focused on having some money throughout the entire continuum. Let people have a little bit of money to try and fail. Let them work with each other and learn. Have a lot of these cool events like, you know, wake up startup and mm-hmm. and uh, and uh, you know the weekend mm-hmm. events and black hack and all these things that that help each other kind of learn and grow um, on the side. I think those two things, and then luck. You know, I guess the third thing would be luck, right? Because some you just never know. Having seen um, ideas that I thought were terrible make money, and ideas that I thought were great fail. Um, you know, part of it is luck and timing as well. So. It's uh, it's exciting to be in this city. It's exciting to be in this environment in this city. And for as long as I have been, you know, and you are in this now, producing these these students who are going to go out and they're going to get in that they're going to get in that stream. They're going to go to the events. They're going to go to the meetups. They're going to try to do little things, and then maybe those things become a little bit bigger things. And they're going to go work at companies that two years ago weren't even thought of. Right. Right. And and they're going to get that. They're going to get that 
here, right? Yeah. We're giving them head stuff. They're going to get a little bit more heart stuff right, um, right. and passion to do it themselves. And so that's very exciting. It that's for a, sure. It is exciting. And it's an exciting time to be um, in the middle of so much uh, innovation and thinking and caring. So uh, it has been a pleasure, Kevin. Thank, thank you. you so much for joining us. I and join it. us next time for the next episode of Learning Unboxed. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for Learning Unboxed, a conversation about teaching, learning, and the future of work. I want to thank my guests and encourage you all to be part of the conversation. Meet me on social media at Annalise Corbin and join me next time as we stand up, step back, and lean in to reimagine education. <laughs>